0: Father, we continue in worship and we do thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ um, in his person and character and work. We come before you this morning not trusting in anything we've done, but instead in everything that he did. Uh, We praise you for his perfect work on the cross, for his beautiful life, his death, his resurrection, his vindication, his his ascension, and his future return. We pray that as we worship him this Christmas season that you bring joy to our hearts and conviction and strength to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Thank you. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're joining us online, welcome here. We're so glad you're worshiping with us today. I'll tell you a little bit more at the end of the service about what we plan for Christmas Eve. It's going to be really cool, but it's also going to be really responsible as well. So stay tuned and hold tight for that. But for this morning, we want to continue our worship of Jesus um, around the traditional Christmas story which happens in Luke chapter 2. This is the one you hear in the Charlie Brown Christmas special and even if you're new to church or never been to church before you probably heard these words before but I'm going to dive deep into them as much as I can in the 30 minutes this morning and give you um, three things that I think will help this text jump out a little bit. So I would call it Christmas in 3D if you will. Those will will The points will start with a D, but they're about different things in the text. I'll explain that here in a second. But let me start with this question. I think we can get a lot of us involved, and then I'll narrow it down just a little bit. And the question is this. How many of you have ever seen a Christmas play? Has anyone ever seen a Christmas play? Okay, that's a lot. Now we're going to narrow it down a little bit. How many of you have ever been in a Christmas play? Okay, and we're going to go a little bit narrower. Are you ready? How many of you have ever been a shepherd before? Has anyone ever been a shepherd? Good. Has anyone ever been an angel? We see all the lovely angels out there. Oh, so cute, beautiful. What about the granddaddy of them all? Has anyone here or had a child or... Do you remember ever being baby Jesus? Anybody? Well, somebody's hand got raised in the very back. I heard a story after the first service. People were coming forward and talking about their child. Uh, Not too long ago, there was a child in church who was only five days old. I said, wow. Inevitably, when you see that child, they will come bundled in a special package. But let's begin with Luke chapter 2 before we dive into those details Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And they went away with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that you would make it especially clear to us. We confess and admit that we do not have enough time alone with you and in your word. But we pray that the time that has been set aside this morning will be meaningful and valuable, that will bless us and bring you glory. Lord, impart your truth to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christmas in 3D, there are three things that I want to point out in this section. The, the first D is descends, descends. You can write that down. We'll get to that in just a second. The first D is descends. The, the detail that leads me to this word is that of the shepherds, that of shepherds. Now, remind me, who all had been a shepherd before? Or is planning to be a shepherd tonight, or next week, or sometime? All right. Shepherds, for those of you who were shepherds, especially if you're a child and the play has not come, you need to tell your mom and dad the night before that ye, Pastor Jeremy says you do not need to take a bath. <laughs> and the reason for that is that shepherds stink. Shepherds today are perhaps a bit... Romanticized, they're these beautiful little sweet children carrying staffs, staffs, whatever, and moving their little sheepies along, and wearing a bathrobe with a funny tie around the middle or something like that. But in the biblical era, this was not the case. They were not to be romanticized. Instead, they were dirty, mangy, often considered to be dishonest, rotten scoundrels. And the reason is, is because this is a job that is low-paid, completely thankless, miserable, hard work. Who wants to sign up for that? Not me. It's kind of like that old country song, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. No one ever teaches them to be doctors and lawyers and stuff like that, right? No one ever says, hey, grow up and be a... Fill in the blank. I'm trying not to insult anybody here today, but we know that some jobs are more miserable than others. Shepherd was one such occupation. Nobody wants to do this. I know that today in COVID, we have a lot of heroes, and there's frontline workers, and there's healthcare workers, and all sorts of people, and it's really cool to see people holding up signs saying, go team, you know, yay for the heroes. But I myself was driving back from Bay City the other day, and I went right past our local landfill, and I didn't see anybody lined up out front saying, hooray for the trash truck drivers. <laughs> yeah. When I was a little kid, I used to think that would be a fun job. You get to jump on the back of the truck and hang on, and the wind's blowing in your hair, and it's fun. Man. I've, I've actually, I had in a previous church, I had a church member who was a trash truck driver. One of his fingers was chopped off. Got caught in one of the things, you know? It's a dangerous, dirty, yucky job. So too is shepherds. Sheep bite. Wolves are real. Thieves are out there. They're in the field. It stinks. It's not a fun job. It's low pain and completely thankless. If, for example, there was a jury selection in this era, the shepherds are immediately out. Hello, sir. What do you do for a living? I'm a shepherd. Okay, next. Boom. They weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court. This was the lowest of the low in this society. They are completely unnoticed and disregarded. And in fact, these are the very people whom Jesus came to save. The shepherds are there to communicate to us the nature of Christ's mission. Watch the book of Luke unfold and all the undesirables that come across Christ's path. The shepherds are there because it communicates the heart of God who has a special love for the humble. There is a special place in God's heart for those who are humble. I'm trying to get away from saying that God plays favorites. But let me tell you this, if you ever want to get in with God... If you want to be good with God, be humble. Because the Bible is very clear in its entire breadth that it is the arrogant and proud and haughty and rude who God will oppose and bring down. But it is the humble and penitent and merciful who God will raise up. In fact, that's what Mary says when she learns about this thing that's about to happen to her. In Luke chapter 1, verse 51 and 52, speaking of Yahweh, the Lord, she says, He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate. God has a special, special place in his heart for those who are humble. It, in fact, demonstrates the heart of God who is also humble. He is the one who descends the first deed. God lowers himself to save us. In fact, he lowers himself so low that he himself is willing to take on the identity of the lowest of the low, the shepherds. And then you watch, even though society views them as complete dirty, rotten scoundrels, God elevates their position to that of his own. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. God himself identifies as a shepherd. He says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus takes on the identity of Yahweh. And says in John chapter 10, verses 14 and following, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. In fact, nearly any time that I do a funeral, one of the most beloved and requested passages of Scripture is Psalm 23. Say it with me if you know it or read it out loud. It's a beautiful text that encourages us all. Let's read it together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the house of the Lord forever. Amen. The Lord is our shepherd. The first thing we see in this text is that God descends. He condescends to make himself known. He is our shepherd. He takes on the lowest of the low in order to bring us back to himself. Number one, verse eight, the shepherds. How many of you were shepherds again? That is a good role. That is a great role. It is dirty. It is stinky. It is despised. It is just like the experience of Jesus Christ. Number one, the shepherds. Number two, the host, the host. I'm going to move into verse 13. There was a singular angel, and then all of a sudden there was a multitude of heavenly hosts. Number two, host. The word host here is actually a continuation of an Old Testament theme, Sabaoth, which is armies. In other words, yes, these are angels, but no, they are not white, fluffy, winged, harp strumping little bunnies. How many of you were angels again? Now, I see why we did that. I understand. I'm not, I'm not insulting you here, okay? What we think of as angels and what the Bible portrays as angels is entirely different. We think of angels and we think beautiful, lovely, soft, sweet, pretty. Oh, they're so nice. You're an angel. What the Bible thinks of angels? <laughs> they're warriors. They're grunts. They are aggressive, majestic, powerful, supernatural beings that drive people to their knees. They strike fear in the heart of man. Even these shepherds who had probably seen quite a few things in their time dropped to the ground when the heavenly host appeared. Why? Because this is what angels are. We sing in our modern praise worship, God of angel armies. It's the idea of host. The literal words in the Hebrew translation of Joshua chapter 5 say, Sar, sabah, oh, Yahweh. Sar is just like you hear of those eastern warlords and kings, czar. Okay, this is a commander, a captain, a powerful one. And Sabaoth oh, is the armies of God. And so look at Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 and following. This is what happens at the battle of Jericho, not at the angel harp strumming thingy, at the fight. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And this man, this pre-incarnate Christ says, no, but I am the commander of the Lord's army. Sar, sabo, Yahweh. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? Elisha, when he is surrounded by Syrians, opens the servant's eyes to see the angel armies of God around them. Daniel, in the lion's den, says the lions did not strike him because the angel closed their mouth. The description of angels in the Bible is a scary one. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. This is this beautiful picture of the ancient of days and what surrounds him. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head pure like wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. And look, the heavenly host, thousands and thousands served him, and tens of thousands stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. These are the armies of God. When Jesus is up on the cross and people begin to mock him and say, Physician, heal yourself. Come down from there if you can. What does he say in response? Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions? That's a military term of angels. He is the commander, the captain of Yahweh's army. He can do as he pleases and come down in a moment. But he chooses. One pastor I heard described Christmas to a pacifist congregation as an act of war. He said, Christmas is an act of war. The presence of the heavenly host communicate the intentional proactive aggressive attack of Jesus Christ. The commander of heaven's army is leading an invasion into hostile territory and he is overcoming the forces of darkness. That is what Christmas is. It's not nostalgia, it's not gifts, it's not Santa Claus, it's not silly willy nilly billy whatever. It's a fight where Jesus is overcoming evil with good. The captor, the captain has descended and is leading the attack. What does that mean for us as Christians? Well, I hope you're feeling it right now. I hope you're getting some of this in your gut. But what that means is victory. What that means is strength. What that means is honor and boldness and courage. In the face of opposition. You don't think we have opposition today? Oh yeah, yeah, we live in the United States and blah, blah, blah. But really, our fight may not be physical, but it is real. It's mental and emotional and internal and psychological and spiritual and secular. And all the forces of darkness wage war against us who don't even know. And this thing, this says... We win. The captain of heaven's armies is calm and overcome. And therefore, we should be bold and not back down, but join in Christ in his conquering of the world. Christmas is an attack. And that should inspire boldness further. It should say no to defeatism. It should say no to spiritual defeatism now. I struggle with this. Maybe you are, you don't, but there's things in life that are hard to overcome, and they don't just go away. I probably frequently said, I wish on the day I was saved, I like went to heaven. Like I believed in Jesus, great, we're done. But there's this huge, long gap in between your initial conversion and all of a sudden your final perfection, and we struggle, and the Lord lets us go through that. In fact, for some reason in his infinite wisdom, it's not just that he lets, but he chooses for us to go through it. He gets more glory by our gradual change than instantaneous. And as a result, we get to struggle and each of us get to struggle with different things. You know, for one, maybe anger, another, it's lust, another is envy, another is lack of contentment, another is fear or anxiety, anxiety. And we struggle. And one day we may have victory, and the next day, not so much. But that's the way it is, and now here we are in our lives, and it's easy to come to a point where he said, I've struggled enough, I'm done, I give up, I quit. But the presence of the commander of heaven's armies says to us, No, we cannot quit, we must continue, for he will prevail. It is a no to defeatism. It is the reality that since Jesus came, the Holy Spirit has come. And what that means is we have the single most powerful force in the entire universe living inside of us. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is the most powerful thing in the entire world? Say amen. If you really believe that, if we really believe that, that means the Holy Spirit is more powerful than our anger, more powerful than our envy, more powerful than our lust, more powerful than our fear, and more powerful than our defeat. He is. It doesn't mean we won't mess up. It doesn't mean we're instantly perfect. It doesn't mean we're already there. But it gives us the power to fight against it, to struggle and struggle on and not quit because the captain has come. The heavenly host, the Sabaot, the Tsar, shows us that we have a weapon in this war against evil. One more time. Who are the angels? Yeah, you are warriors. You are God's armies. And so next time, kiddos, if you're going to the play and they hand you a harp, put down the harp. I already told you, if you're a shepherd, you don't have to take a bath. If you're an angel, that means you get to bring a Nerf gun. Okay? Pastor Jeremy said angels bring their guns. What can I say? These are God's armies. The captain, the leader of the guard. So Christmas in 3D. Number one, our Savior descends. That's what the shepherds show us. Number two... Our Savior defeats. That's what the hosts show us. And number three, our Savior delivers. This is the nature of the swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths. Look at Luke chapter two, verse seven. It says this: She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. There was no place for them In the end Now as you read this text As I read it initially maybe, oh, okay, You know that's what moms do right Like swaddling's been around For a long time Baby comes out baby's like whoa I used to be snuggy buggy now I'm All loose and wiggly what do we do Want them to sleep So I'm going to wrap them up as tight as I can And go shh in their ears so they think They're listening to the inside of mom again we try to keep them warm and quiet. We snug them up. And so some commentators will say, well, you know, that's just showing that Mary was a good mom. Which is true. But it's possible that there's something more there. And as you look at John chapter 19, what we see is this. This is the end of the story. This is a fast forward. I just skipped like a lot of scenes. It says this, after these things, that's the crucifixion. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away the body, and Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, remember John three 16, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. Wait, what did the wise men a few years later bring to Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But myrrh is used in burial. And about 70 pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and they wrapped it in swaddling cloths with spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Full circle, start to finish. A baby born to die. Here is your Savior. Here is your deliverer. Jesus was sent to take away sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why is that, Pastor Jeremy? I guess you're just some weird sadistic religion. You know, you like eat the Lord's Supper, his body of blood. What, what's up? Here's what happened. In the beginning was the Word. That was Jesus. And Jesus made the world... And Jesus said and told us, if you sin, if you disobey, you die. And the life of the creature is in the blood. Therefore, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. It's natural. God's just punishment for sin is death. That's what he told us. If you sin, you die. This is what you get. So how then do I avoid punishment for my sins? How do I get out from under that just and righteous condemnation? I have to have a covering. I have to have blood covering me. And I don't want it to be my blood. I want it to be the blood of something or someone else. And thus the sacrificial system in the Old Testament where the lamb points forward to the ultimate lamb of God. And we learn that there can be a substitute that someone or something can take our place and we're always hoping for that perfect one to come because what we had before was never enough and then came Jesus and John says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world this is good news he delivers He was born to die and shed his blood for my sin, for yours. If you're sitting at home on the couch, maybe someone dragged you in front of your TV and said, Watch this. This is why. Because Jesus died for you. This is not me selling my church, it's not us asking for money. This is for you and the salvation of your soul. Believe in Jesus. He restores what was lost and broken. He fixes it once and for all. All of us have been wrapped at some point in time. Fortunately, not in burial clothes yet. But we will be. But the one who is wrapped. Has come to bind. Our wounds. This is the nature of the Christ. Hope this Christmas. I know that it will be different. But I hope it will be really different. I hope that you will. See the shepherd. See the good shepherd. I hope that you will see the heavenly host. And see his victory. I hope that you will see the swaddling cloths. And see his salvation. Our savior descends. Our Savior defeats, and our Savior delivers. Good news a Savior has come. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for our Savior in whose name we place our trust. Lord, we pray for this Christmas. We know it will be different, um, definitely for all of us, no matter what. It's going to be different. But we know that it was different for you to come to our world and be in a manger and have to deal with everything. Lord, we thank you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.